This is Bariatric Stories. Hi everyone, this is Rinda, and yes, I am back in 2021, and Happy New Year to you. So uh, before I get into this uh, long-awaited continuation to the previous episode, first call, which I should remind you, it was recorded March 2019. That's almost two years now, so I'm so fired. But I just want to get just a bit caught up here in a little bit. 2019 was a blur with going through two jobs and becoming unemployed in October and right into January 2020. So as we all know, lives were turned upside down in 2020 financially, emotionally, mentally, and physically due to our lovely COVID-19. Along with many, you know, I struggled with uh, unemployment insurance benefits Uh, You know, trying to keep a roof over our head and food on the table as our employers shut down. And it's just been a trying year last year, which I'm totally happy it's over and the whole thing. I'm I'm not political, but the elections wasn't too fun either. (laughs) But I'm glad 2020 is over and trying to start a little bit better in 2021. On the lighter side, though, I was able to visit and self-quarantine with my parents, who are also high-risk retirees, and they live in Henderson in Las Vegas. Uh, For a couple of weeks, I I spent some time with them. That pretty much sums up from the last time I (laughs) I recorded um, an episode here. So now that we're all caught up, I hope that you have been doing well and everyone in your life are healthy and, you know, hanging in there and hopefully... This year, we're actually turned for the better for all of us. All right, so this episode, I feel, covers one of the most crucial parts of pre-surgery process. Uh, Don't get me wrong, though. The uh, medical and diet are important. But I personally believe the main reason of my weight problem was psychological. When my first appointment with the weight loss program psychologist or, you know, behavioral health specialist, I had to fill out an assessment, which, you know, is going to help the surgical group and myself identify psychosocial risk factors and make recommendations that will help in determining the best possible outcome for myself. Going to be faced, you know, with dietary restrictions, permanent changes in eating and dietary habits. Um, altered body experience, uh, shifting body image and self-care behaviors and um, just, you know, different feelings and getting into this whole different lifestyle. It does change a lot. And if, if it's not something that you had put into consideration while trying all the different diets before considering um, bariatric surgery, you will this time around. <laughs> the surgery is a highly effective procedure that, you know, not only going to reconfigure or restrict your stomach, but it's definitely going to affect your psyche as well. Any problematic pre-surgery psychosocial factors, you know, it's going to be identified. Uh, The treatment team is going to make uh, specific recommendations, which is going to vary from either addressing potential post-surgery stumbling blocks, because it's not going to be an easy road. You know, we would love to have it to be flat grade, straight shot no there's going to be turns there's going to be mountains there's going to be valleys 
and a couple of long, uh, landslides that you're gonna that might pause you for a moment, or you're just gonna have to find a way to get around. You're gonna have to go through uh, nutritional consultations, aftercare monitoring, and also support group. You're gonna have to attend a support group, which the program most programs do offer. And I'm gonna have to admit here that I never attended. It would have been the best thing for me to do, but me personally, I think I just a bit hard-headed that I didn't go. So that was just me, you know, which I'm just going to say right now, I didn't do it. So back to my assessment, which, you know, I'm going to share a copy from the uh, American Society for Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery or known as ASMBS. I'm going to go over their copy because I haven't really found my copy, but then I remembered it when I when I found this copy, I'm like, it's so similar to the copy that I had years ago. I'm going to share the link uh, somewhere in this episode and you can cover it. The assessment covers six common categories, behavioral, cognitive, emotional, developmental, current life situation, motivation, and expectations. So I'm going to be reading points and referring to ASMBS's copy. So this might turn into several different episodes. I kind of have a feeling already since I spent most of the time trying to get caught up. So I'm just going to go over points with uh, the first category, which is behavioral. They cover five different types. So number one would be previous attempts at weight management. Uh, Number two. Eating and dietary styles. Number three, physical activity and inactivity. Number four, substance abuse. And number five, health-related risk-taking behavior. So for the first one, previous attempts at weight management. Now, I'm pretty sure most of us have been through many different types of weight loss programs, trends, we, we've we've gone through a lot more here. So here it says, you know, previous attempts at weight management, uh, non-surgical attempts that had little or if any long-term result. Patterns of the loss and regain is going to provide information about your eating habits and lifestyle, as well as behavioral and emotional factors that have contributed to past successes or failures. It's just a matter of navigating what you've done and been through in the past. What diets you've tried, what worked, what didn't work, how did it work, and why did it not work? It could be either you got tired of eating pre-planned, pre-made frozen foods. Uh, For me, I've been through a handful of weight loss programs. I'm not going to say a lot of them, but, you know, it goes from going into meetings the frozen meals, the pre-planned ones, and you go in every other week or every week to go, you know, your weigh-ins, um, your progress, logging your activity, reordering more food or picking up more food in that sense, or even just sticking with, you know, you have your shakes and then you have, you know, your planned small meals throughout the day. And, you know, some may limit or restrict you from different types of foods, but then eventually down in the long run, you get, you know, you start getting the munchies and you start wanting to get those foods that you're restricted from. 
you know, it, it's stuff like that. So you try to use your past experiences to get that first point of your of your assessment in figuring out what will work for you and what will not. Only because they want to make sure that you're not going to self-sabotage yourself after surgery. Because you're going to be restricted from a lot of things. Like before the surgery, you know, you, you try something, you do really good for as long as, as, as you've done it. And then you start backsliding and you stop and you start doing and eating the way you've done before. And then you put on the weight. After surgery, you try to do the same thing. You will get terribly sick because you can't do that. You have a hard time and you're going to try to backslide and eat something you're not supposed to within your first month or maybe the first six months. You're going to be terribly sick. I've learned that personally. <laughs> for me, I have learned that. I mean, I was for me, I was too afraid of getting sick. The day after I got home from my surgery, I was in my room resting. And at the time, you know, I was living with my folks and my dad was frying bacon. And just the smell of the bacon coming through the house would normally be like amazing. But it made me nauseous. It made me so nauseous. I had to shut the door, open the windows for to, you know, outside. And pretty much I, I was so sick and just smelling bacon the day after I got home from surgery. So for me, just smelling something that would have been amazing for me got me super sick so just the the fact that I don't want to get sick I I didn't try there was no way that I was going to backslide okay number two eating and dietary styles so pretty much finding what influences eating and distinguishing uh, different types of eating behaviors and patterns a lot are emotionally driven, such as binge eating, overeating, grazing, night eating syndrome. For me, I could say I fell into the overeating and grazing areas. Previous episodes, I've talked about how how we saw food growing up. And it was like a full bowl, whether you know you're going to finish it or not, but you're just hungry. And there's food. So load it up in there and just eat as much as you can until you feel better or feel like you're not going to feel it fit in your clothes anymore but that was pretty much it so we weren't eating to fuel our body we were eating just we're, we're eating to knock out <laughs> pretty much it um but i did graze a little bit off and on so i i pretty much put myself in that overeating and grazing areas Number three, physical activity and inactivity. Do we have a moderate activity lifestyle depending on body shape, body size, and physical limitations or almost entirely sedentary lifestyle? So either way, it is important to know that there will be a plan to incorporate some type of post-surgery exercise because you're going to need to have some activity as you are recovering and build up your endurance. I wasn't very active before surgery um, I'm from a family that plays basketball and tennis and I was the driver and cheerleader I made sure everybody made it to their games and their practices and I just was there to support them uh, but I never played I, I would just walk around the park but after surgery 
it took some time to just you get weak and a little lightheaded and a little dizzy because the first couple of weeks you are on liquids and slowly introducing soft foods but not enough for you to get up and do a one mile run that is not gonna happen not for a while not not probably not in your first six months because your body goes through so many changes after being quote unquote tampered with because when you think about it you're going in there and rearranging something or adding something to restrict its normal function that it's done your whole life so it needs to say hey what's going on adjust and heal and find another way to function with the restricted amounts of food that's coming in for it to to burn and work off of so for me i started just being able to walk up and down the stairs in my house without feeling dizzy and uh we'd go to the mall so it's stuff like that you know it's not that fun after surgery i'm gonna say but (laughs) but hey before surgery you know i'd go to walks and do this and and try to do what i can but after a while i get too lazy and i don't want to walk tomorrow you know um I don't want to walk today. I don't want to walk tomorrow. Oh, it's raining. You know, it, I find every way not to do it and get lazy. So I, w- I was a bit more motivated to do something as soon as I was strong enough to do anything. Uh, number four, substance use. The assessment will help the team explore potential links between a person's use of substance and their coping style, uh, compulsive tendencies, or a need to self-medicate to manage depression, anxiety, insomnia, and or pain. Um, There have been some physical effects of certain substances post-surgery, with some alcohol is more rapidly (laughs) absorbed. I can, yep, I can vouch for that. It does. I don't have to drink alcohol all the time, but when I do, it does absorb and it hits me super fast, at least within the first four sips. And that will be a totally whole different story (laughs) another time. (laughs) But it does. I can say that. I can vouch for that. Carbonated beverages may negatively affect pouch integrity. For me, it makes me very uncomfortable, but they prefer you don't drink anything carbonated at least in the first six months it's just your body's already dealing with are you going to have gas pains so you do not want to add carbonated beverages into the mix just a little disclaimer there Uh, nicotine may slow healing or cause ulcers i've known maybe two people who were smokers and they just had to stop smoking before they had the surgery and everything Certain medications may damage the pouch. Yes, they will go over it with you as you go through the whole process with your medical team. Number five, health-related risk-taking behavior. Behaviors that are likely to be impulsive, compulsive, or habitual. One, two, three, A, B, C. A, impulsive. Some with impulse control problems raise concerns of post-surgery non-adherence and safety. Uh, Some may ignore post-surgery dietary restrictions and start eating solids too soon, risk pouch-related problems, and so on. Yes, that might raise a red flag with your health team because you may pose a danger to yourself after surgery because you're not going to... 
follow the diet or reintroduce certain things too soon, which will cause more harm to yourself than anything. That I've heard with a few people that I know that had the surgery and they had that impulse control problem. Uh, B, compulsive. Typical compulsive behaviors include emotional eating, stress eating, and smoking. Uh, high risk post-surgery since food is limited, eating is replaced with other activities like more TV, computer use, uh, compulsive exercising, gambling, alcohol or drug use, hypersexuality, and others. So if you are already an emotional eater before surgery, it's something that you're going to have to acknowledge and try to have another plan on overcoming that. And uh, some people that I know that had the surgery, you know, they, they replaced it with compulsive exercising. A few of them was alcohol, hypersexuality, uh, a good handful of them, yeah. But for me, I think I went through a phase of compulsive exercising and I had an injury and that kind of like set me straight and I had to pause for a while. But in the back of my mind, I feel like, oh, I can go. It got to a point that I would go to a gym. I had a trainer, so he kind of kept me on on he kept me on a on a straight and narrow too. One hour, um, I would meet with my trainer every other day, and on my off days, I would go in, making sure he wasn't there. But I I got to a point that I had nights that I'd go in at eleven o'clock at night, and I'd be leaving the gym at two o'clock in the morning. That was crazy. Okay, and C, habits, something that happens automatically since food no longer play a primary role. So those are the five categories under behavioral. And I am going to stop at that. So next episode, I'm probably going to cover cognitive, emotional, and probably developmental too. But if you would like to follow along with what I'm going to be covering in the next coming episodes which I will try to be consistent with now since I have to do a series on this assessment. Um, the link's going to be in the description and you can read ahead and just do your own little self-evaluation and what categories you fall under and really come to an understanding even more about your health habits and how you dieted in the past, what worked and what didn't work. And see how it you know you, you kind of learn about yourself before you even decide having the surgery or if you are having the surgery and you've been through this process then it's kind of like a reiterating you know it's like a refresher course and it's like yeah that's right I remember my eating and dietary styles or some of your health related risk-taking behaviors or something and it, it just I stop refocus and reset so I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up and continue on with uh, cognitive, emotional, and developmental in the next episode. So if you want to follow along with what I am covering, the assessment that I'm using as a reference, you can go ahead. I will put the link in the episode description. It's a copy from the American Society for Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery, or known as ASMBS. And just so you know, I have no affiliation with the association and it's just for reference and a learning tool that I'm I'm using this copy for. So um no affiliation what whatsoever. So I will have the link 
in the description. You can go ahead and read ahead, use it as your own reference and probably your own self-evaluation as we go along in the next couple episodes. And I'd also like to take a moment to say thank you so much for continuously listening to the podcast, even though I haven't uploaded anything since March of 2019. <laughs> 2021 is going to be the year that I will definitely be consistent and I will also have a few friends on here just to talk story. Some of them have had bariatric surgery. I also have a few friends that are thinking about uh, having the surgery and curious just to be able to share everything that I have learned and what I have found and anybody who wants to, you know, come on to the podcast and to talk story and talk about your experiences or your expectation or your hopes, um, the good and bad, all good. We're all human. We all share experiences. It's not always rainbows and butterflies on any type of surgeries or even journeys. That's what this is all about. So you can go ahead. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow Bariatric Stories on Facebook, Bariatric Stories. Also on Instagram at Bariatric Stories. So until the next episode, thank you so much again for listening. I am Rinda. This is Bariatric Stories. Always be well, be safe, be blessed.